Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the All Saints podcast. I am absolutely delighted to be able to introduce a guest to you today. He's someone I know that um, many of you know uh, pretty well. Uh, he's a very old friend of All Saints in the sense that the church of which he is the pastor was the mother church for All Saints when we began. Uh, we were a mission church, is that right, technically? That's correct. That's right. I'm with uh, Pastor Randy Booth from Grace Covenant Church in Nacogdoches, and today we are talking about hospitality. Pastor Booth, thank you for being with us. Glad to be here. Thank you. Well, listen, I need to explain briefly to our viewers and listeners how this came about. I was uh, reading an email chain that appeared on our CREC elders and pastors email list and it was on the subject of hospitality a few messages back and forth and Pastor Booth sent a couple of attachments one to an article that somebody else had written that I guess you're recommending and another to an article that you had written uh, Pastor Booth on this subject of hospitality and I just thought immediately on looking at these this is a subject I want to talk with you about because um, we have been blessed here at a church I think with um, hospitable people for many years and uh, certainly my family and myself we've we've, uh, enjoyed the welcome that has been afforded to us by many folks in the congregation here but it's not something we want to take for granted and uh, if these articles are to be believed it is really something quite significant and um, I want to just begin if I may by reading a few lines from the opening of the article by Robin Shreves that uh, you recommended. And then I want to get your thoughts on that, and we'll just jump into the stuff you've written. So here it goes. This is Robin Shreves in praise of scruffy hospitality. Here's what he writes. My friends Dana and John practice perfectly what the Reverend Jack King referred to as scruffy hospitality. Their kitchen is small. The wood cabinets are dark and a few decades old. Spices and jars for sugar and flour line the countertops because there's nowhere else to put them. A tall round table shoved into a corner has mismatched bar stools crammed round it. The sliding glass doors in the kitchen lead to a back deck with a well-used chiminea, which I guess is like an outdoor burner, is that right? Yes, yes. (laughs) An outdoor table and a large variety of chairs and cushions, many of them bought at yard sales. We circle the chairs around the chiminea on weekend nights during all four seasons. Whenever Dana and John put out a simple call through text or Facebook that says, fire tonight. And that just, I guess, the right kind of fire tonight. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, and that just, that just gra- grabbed me because I think probably the, um, the circumstances of Robin Shreves' friends, Dana and John, um, are the kind of things that will put many people off hospitality, correct? Absolutely, yes. But um, yeah, we, we, that's right. We, we end up thinking we, we don't have what we need to do this, but I want to argue very strongly that we have all that we need to do this, regardless of our circumstances. Right. I was struck, if I may, uh, struck on preaching through Titus this uh, last Sunday, this Sunday, and next uh, really quickly. But as, uh, as the book of Titus opens up, uh, Paul, of course, is addressing Titus about uh, sound doctrine and about uh, the importance of preaching and all kinds of things. But, of course, uh, the vast majority of the book, the application of the truth, which he says accords with godliness, is about very practical things, about how to keep house, how to love our children, how to love our wives, how we're to interact with one another 
sound doctrine is always rooted in godly practice. And so we, we want to teach people about the Bible, but more than that, we want to teach them the Bible, which includes living that in, in a community, in a communion with one another. Right. So I want to jump into this then. And I don't know whether, whether you want to start with the, the theology that lies behind the practice of, of, of hospitality or whether you want to start with some of the practical things that you've learned and uh, enjoyed uh, as you've taught this and experienced it in the past. Where do you want to begin? I, I'd like to begin a little bit with the theology because I think that's always the best place to start is what does God think about hospitality? And I, if we think of hospitality as an extension of communion, of community, uh, then I think that's the best way to go with this. It's going to have many expressions. Obviously, at church, we gather in the house, as it were, the Lord together, uh, and we commune with one another, both in worship uh, at the Lord's table, oftentimes with a fellowship meal, uh, conversation, communication, all kinds of things we do on the Lord's Day, the first day of each week, we come apart so that we can come together and be hospitable before the Lord. And so the Lord is actually being hospitable to us uh, in that. He has called us together uh, to do these things. And so it's all about communion. And the Lord's Day is what I like to call practice for life. It's the first day of the week, not the weekend. And we begin the week by remembering who we are and why we're here and remembering who the Lord is and what he's done for us and providing for us. And then he sends us out to go to our houses, which are a little outpost of the kingdom of God, and to repeat that at our house. We do it with our families around our tables, but then we invite others in, strangers, other Christians, those of the household of faith, and we do in our house uh, what we do there. So I often tell young couples, uh, if I could, in fact, uh, let me reach over here and grab something someone gave me. Because um, I've mentioned this a number of times to some young couples, and I had a young man bring this to me. Is that, is that showing? Can you read yeah, that? Is it, right. in, this says, it says, this is a place of loving communion, and it looks like it's carved on a piece of wood. It is. So I said, if we could, if I could write that in big letters on everyone's wall, and if we understood biblically and theologically that everything we do is a reflection of the triune community or communion, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are an extension of that. We're made in his image. And therefore, our houses, our families, our churches are to reflect that communion. Communion is life. Uh, to come together in union. Separation is death. Sin divides. Sin tears us apart. So everything we do in our home should reflect or should be to the end of community and communion. And hospitality is a big part of that. And so whether we are uh, working, taking out the trash, cooking a meal, taking care of children, uh, uh, making love, having people over, worship, all of that should be contributing to the community and the communion of God's people, whether in our family or in a broader sense. The devil can use any one of those things to tear us apart. We can have a quarrel over who's going to take the trash out. 
and not be speaking to each other. So if we fundamentally understand that the purpose of God bringing his people together and bringing us together in Christ to deal with sin, to get it out of the way, so that we can be in communion with him and with one another, then we start to see the importance of community and by extension, the importance of hospitality. Because there we're gonna not only be served, uh, but we're gonna serve and we're going, and service is love. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. In hospitality, we are giving of ourselves, of our material things, our homes, our food, but also of ourselves. And as a result, as scripture teaches us, give and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. So we receive back. Uh, and when we practice hospitality, I think more than we give. Right, right. I'm very struck by what you said about the image of God, because when we look at that text in Genesis 1 in particular, um, it, it's associated with ruling and having dominion over the world. And, yes. Uh, rightly so. We think of that in terms of our vocations. We, talk, we think about filling the earth. But I've not heard people make the connection straight to the triune character of God as community. That's really striking. Yes. Hmm. Amen. And, and so this loving eternal loving communion is to be emulated by us. And before sin enters with Adam and Eve, the two become one and they are to produce, be fruitful and multiply and to expand that community, that communion to fill the earth, hmm. to, to make earth paradise, which would be uh, an eternal place of hospitality for everyone, right. a hospitable, a hospitable environment, a hospitable uh, interaction 24 seven sin interrupts that right. the gospel has come to address sin. So as Christians, we're called to bring restoration to the original dominion mandate, which is about community and communion. Hmm. And it's striking as well. The atonement is an act of hospitality. Yes. Frame it in that way. And, and the way you described what we're experiencing in worship, uh, we think of atonement as a, a way of articulating a certain set of doctrines, which has to do with our being reconciled with God, our sin, God, our sin being covered, uh, propitiation being made uh, for God's wrath in relation to our sin. But your way of putting it is to say, no, what atonement accomplishes is our welcome into God's household. Yes, it, it, we come to the house dirty and he right. cleans us. He covers us. He puts he washes us. He puts us puts on new clothes and invites us in to, to sup with him, to eat with him. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating as well, just to think about uh, the, the way in which this makes sense of what actually happens in. Yes. In hospitality. I mean, I'd, I'd love to ask you in a few minutes about places other than our homes, but um, I, I remember situations evangelistically. If I, if I used to do some street evangelism in London, I used to do a fair amount. And one of my goals was to get to a point in a conversation, if somebody had time, where we could go and sit down and have a cup of coffee together, or better still, to meet on another occasion. And, yes. and what would happen? You know, you'd be standing in the street and you've got my questionnaire, or I'm, I'm giving him a tract, or I'm, I'm talking to somebody. And there's this sense of 
okay, not quite suspicion, but we're not sure about each other. He's not sure about me, and I, you know, I'm feeling awkward because I've approached this guy out of, out of the blue. We get into a coffee shop, and you sit down around a table, and you have two cups of uh, flat white or whatever you got in front of you, and every single time the, the dynamic had completely changed. Yes, it, and it's it, the first time it happened. It struck me really forcibly. It, it felt like. This relationship has now shifted in its orientation quite dramatically. And I remember talking to Peter Lightheart about this, and he said, yeah, it's table fellowship. Yes. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I think, well, yeah, I think there's a whole theology of food and eating and tables right. and the picture in Scripture of how this is the place where we meet. Of course, that's the Lord's table is the arch mm. table uh, that all of our other tables should emulate. And, and it's interesting, too, with the Lord's table, we have this simple meal. Of bread and wine, right? It's not the it's not a, the elaborate nature of the meal itself. It's the meaning of the meal. It's mm. the place of meeting. It's the place of life. It's the place where we're fed in more ways than one. Uh, it, it's the place of peace. You you know if if two enemies come together, then there's a peace offering. There's a meal of coming together and. It's 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 just rich and, and deep. That'd be a whole separate uh, mm. uh, many discussions about that. But hospitality often there is food, maybe right. most you know frequently, but the food is is the is the uh, just a tool, if you will, for us to to assimilate. There's other things going on with the food, right? There's beauty, there's nourishment, there's smells and colors and the extravagance. Uh, Robert Capon talks about God's unnecessary goodness. God could have just given us a tablet to take every right. day and uh, have all of our nutrition, but instead he filled the world with all these things. And as we come together, you know, we can sit and eat a meal by ourselves. I used to travel some, and uh, when I was much younger, I was a jeweler and I would travel and go out of town and I, I would have the company would give me a per diem to eat but I found I'd eat by myself. I had plenty of right. money that I could have gone to a nice restaurant, but going to a nice restaurant by yourself is no fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it, it, it's, it's, I just assume grab something and go sit in the hotel room and get it over with. <laughs> um, but to be with people, yes. to be able to find someone to sit down and have that meal with, it's not as much about what you're eating as it is that you're with those, those people. And so I think that's, uh, 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 again, a, a celebration of God's goodness to us uh, that he gives us all these things to delight in with one another. Yes. And, and that's if you, just, sorry, go ahead. Wait. No, I'm, I'm finished. Yeah. So if this being right, it, it's fascinating because we're working through the book of Acts at the moment. And one of the things I've noticed in passing here and there already with just up to Acts chapter beginning of Acts chapter four I sat down this morning to look at and and what you notice is that people are meeting in one another's homes and it's yes. easy to uh, characterize that as a, a historical contingency well of course they met in homes because they didn't have buildings and of course they didn't have buildings they had perhaps synagogue uh, premises and temple courts in the very early days but your point is then no no it's 
it may be historically contingent, but that historical contingency is filling out a theological necessity, something that it, we actually have to do as Christians in order to experience and, and give the richness of Christian life to each other. <coughs> right. So what you're, what you're describing then, uh, we all have this vision in our minds now of uh, tremendously rich, um, Father Robert Capon style, sumptuous hospitality. I recall from his book, um, The Feast of the Lamb, or the, the, is it The Supper, the of, the Supper Lamb? of the Lamb? Supper of the Lamb. Uh, you know, he recommends a bottle of wine for each two people initially when you're just learning. <laughs> And it makes me think, yes. I have this picture of a, of a is, it, is he a Catholic priest or an Anglican? Uh, uh, an Anglican. 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 Yeah. I, I have this, this picture of his dinner parties starting off well and ending up in places where perhaps I wouldn't particularly want to go. But um, uh, Well, as some people, some people have said about Anglicans where two or three are gathered, there's a fifth. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So, oh, well. Um, the, the picture that this creates is one which perhaps many of the people listening to this have enjoyed where they've gone to a home that is uh, fairly large and beautiful and the food is you know clearly whoever cooked this has been working on it for about 36 hours straight and <laughs> everything looks wonderful and the mother of the house looks sublimely in control of all her darling beautiful children and the husband is just sort of surveying the landscape of his wonderfully manicured everything and then we think about our own slightly more frantic or small scale or meager existence and we think yeah I'm, I'm really glad there are other people out there who can offer hospitality so that i can enjoy it and yes <laughs> and the gist of what you uh wrote in your you've got this uh, article i guess it's um you've probably preached this many times nurturing a habit of hospitality you've got here 10 reasons that people give why they can't offer hospitality Yes, excuses, and, excuses. I, and I seek seek to answer those excuses. Yeah, you go through it in Puritan style, one point at a time, <laughs> nailing every single one to the opposite wall. And and I don't know whether we want to go through these one at a time. I, I'm going to read them out just so that everyone at least gets the headlines, and then maybe you can pick out a few of them that you really want to talk about. And I might pick a few that I think might be an issue here. Should sure. We? Well, yeah. Why don't you read one, and we'll see if we want to make a comment. Let, why don't we start with a, a Romans twelve passage? Go on, then. We'll start with the Romans twelve. Then. Okay. So you read that. All right. Uh, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. And this is in the context of Christians with one another. There is a, another aspect of hospitality that has to do with strangers, mm -hmm. uh, people outside the faith. And by the way, Rosaria Butterfield's book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, is an excellent book. Right. to look at to see how that's used for evangelistic purposes. But I think the focus of Romans here is on Christian hospitality. Right. And that, that text is fascinating because we are very prone to read those lists of injunctions or moral traits as though they're isolated from each other. But of course, you glance at it a second time, right. you realize they all mutually inform each other. So how yes. would you... Uh, let your love be without hypocrisy and be affectionate to one another in brotherly love and give preference to one another and so on and so forth. Well, right. By being given to hospitality. That's right. 
And so don't lag in diligence, be fervent in spirit. You know, the, we, and so when we get to the hospitality part, we're not to lag in hospitality, we're to be fervent mm. in hospitality because that's one of the places and the ways that we do all of these things. Right. So let's work through the excuses then, or let's start. I'm, I want to read them all at once just so that people get a flavor of sure. them, and then we'll pick them out. So here are the excuses that you might have for, let's say, leaving the exercise of this gift to others who are better cooks or whatever it is than you. I'm not good at it. My house is too small. My house is too dirty. My stuff will be messed with. I can't cook. I can't afford it. I'm too busy. I stress out. I get my fellowship at church, and I'm special. There we are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that last one. Anybody dare to invoke that? Invoke that one. But um, like, let's let's just kick off with the first because I'm not I'm not good at it. Is something probably that everybody has said at some time or other. Right, and that's why you need practice. Right. Uh, you you don't. I have a friend who used to say, "You don't like what you don't know." It's like a child that doesn't like broccoli. They've never had it before, but they think they can look at it and decide prima facie that uh, I don't like broccoli. Uh, we do that with any number of things, and hospitality, I think, is one of them. As you described earlier, someone else who's gone all out with cooking or whatever, and we see that and we become intimidated. But I, I keep focusing the answer in each of these objections concludes with uh, we must be given to hospitality. That's a command of Scripture. It's not an option. It's not a be given to hospitality if you're good at it. Uh, it's be given to it and get good at it. Hmm. Uh, so the command is not optional. Everything else we're going to see is an excuse or a justification for not doing what God said to do. And and one of the things, uh, in, in back to Titus, if I can, for a yeah. minute, that we all have to settle first and foremost is Jesus, uh, the word of God, is the boss of me. It gets to tell me what to think and what to do. And I, because I have denied myself and, and am a follower of Jesus, say I get to say, yes, Lord. If that's what you think I need to do and that it's good for me, even if I'm not good at it, even if I don't like it right now because I haven't learned to like it, mm. even if I'm afraid of it, no matter what, what it is, at the end of the day, I say, yes, Lord. I want to follow you in this thing that you said I need to do because it's good for your church, because it's good for me, and it honors you. What you say, So that's our starting place. What you say about uh, denying yourself there is fascinating because it reminds me of how Calvin expounds that in his institutes. We think of self-denial too readily as I'm, I'm not going to drink uh, yeah. a soda or I'm not going to drink alcohol for a month because it's Lent or whatever, or I'm, I'm not going to eat chocolate. Calvin's point is, no, no, Jesus doesn't mean deny yourself nice things. He means <laughs> deny your self-will and submit your will to the will of Jesus. Yes. And it, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Right, precisely. Uh, that, and so uh, does Jesus... Uh, does God want you to be hospitable? He doesn't just want you to be hospitable. He wants you to be given to hospitality. He wants it to be a priority in your life, not something that you get to if everything else falls in place, but that it gets put on the calendar. Use that smartphone for something smart and put, 
and put something on the calendar that involves inviting the Joneses over for dinner next week. Mm-hmm. So um, on, on your second point, then, my house is too small. What if the Joneses have 12 children and I'm a, a single uh, young man or single young lady and I've got an apartment with, which is a bed sit? Um, so yes. It's got one and a half rooms. Come and help me out here. Well, all right. A couple of options. So you got to be creative. So one thing you could do is... Uh, if you're the single guy and the Joneses, you said Joneses, I don't, I always pick on the Joneses, but uh, they've got 12 kids in a small house, invite yourself to their house and bring the food. That's one possibility. Uh, I'll meet you at the, let's go to the park. Uh, let's have a picnic. Uh, I'll, I'll bring the, the, the main dish and you bring the chips and we'll meet there. Uh, there are uh, other, pl- other venues and places around town that you can be creative uh, do, do a group thing, get together with a couple of families and do something. Uh, so that's, uh, one. And if you're the one with the, so if you have the small house, again, you can, uh, sit in the yard, sit on the front porch, hmm. um, uh, tell them to bring their lawn chairs. Right. Um, yeah, this, you can, you can, you can solve this problem. Yeah, you can, if you want to, um, let, let's just take a sideways step into this. I mean, I mentioned single man, single woman. It struck me occasionally as a, I've been married for nearly 25 years now. I know you've been married to Marinelle for a very long time. Uh, 50 this year. 50, congratulations. That's wonderful. Congratulations to Marinelle and well done. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, congratulations to you. Well done, Marinelle. Um, the, yes. the, 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 the issue of single people, I think, we've got to be honest about this. It seems to provoke... I can't quite think how to describe it. Is it mixed feelings? On the one hand, I think I, I worry whether single people feel awkward if they invite other single people or groups of single people to hospitality at their house. And then there's a, a cluster of different reactions that I sometimes come across with single people if they're invited by families to enjoy hospitality elsewhere. If there are no single people there it might feel to somebody who's single and would like to be married you know oh disappointing i didn't have a chance to meet anybody you know even that small percentage chance then if the the host family were to more purposefully try and get a whole gaggle of single men single women together i've perceived sometimes awkwardness from the single folks who feel like okay is this a matchmaking evening or is did i get invited around for dinner you know what which is it right so there's a whole cluster of things going on there you've got some well yeah yeah i would like to say first of all it's okay to feel awkward um i've felt (laughs) awkward countless times i i just am awkward sometimes so um get used to that that's life everything new feels odd because it's new. It's different. Sometimes it's a good feeling. Sometimes it's not, not a, you know, you're, you're uncomfortable. But one of the ways to get over that is for it to not be new anymore, hmm. to just do it. Uh, and so now it's not, hey, I've done this five times and now it's not so awkward. So uh, that's one thing. Uh, and say, what does the Lord want me to learn here? Again, God's not as concerned about whether I feel awkward in a given situation or not as he is that I'm obeying him and trusting him. And, and, and oftentimes I've found I've been in situations where I might have felt awkward and then maybe down the road I recognized how, 
how God was at work in that situation to teach me something or to use me for someone else. So get over yourself, just to put it bluntly, right. and say, look, I'm, I am part of the body of Christ. I don't know, always know exactly which body part I am. I think mm. that might change uh, throughout the course of your life. Uh, but I am part of the body, which means I do things with the body. Maybe not against the whole church as well as smaller gatherings of the church, your circumstances will likely change. You're either called to be single, in which case you're going to need to adapt and learn what that looks like, or two years from now you're going to be married and that your circumstances will change. But it doesn't matter. You're still to be given the hospitality. And I don't think every single person has an obligation to invite every family over to their apartment. Um, but you should, you, for example, one of the things you could do is if there's another family, uh, that is often hospital, ask how you could help. Could I come over and help prepare the food? Could I mm -hmm. come early and could I, what can I do to help host this? You can host baby showers. You can, with other people, you can go together with others to do things and be part of a team that is hospitable. Yeah, that's striking. I, I've, I've wondered actually, uh, time and a few times we've had people renting or, or not renting no no payment required members borrowing our fellowship hall here at church for events yes. either with their fellowship groups or for other events and i'd want to say you know if you're a, if you're a single person and you'd like to show hospitality to half a dozen families perhaps with you know a few other single people who've got no single space big enough then um yes. get, in, get in touch with pastor Shaw and um, ask to borrow the fellowship hall because i can't think of a better thing to do with it than for people to offer that kind of hospitality to each other Sure. Yeah. Um, so here's a couple of other things. Um, I, I want to group some of your points together here. Um, there's, there's the I can't cook and can't afford it, and the genuine feeling that some people have that if I invite people around to my place, they'll be disappointed. Um, yes. I, and that that is true for some people. They they've never sure. cooked much and they don't have a huge amount of money. And I don't want to dismiss these concerns. Sure. So speak to those. No. Yeah, several things. I think uh, you could have, uh, when we were younger, we were that way. Uh, we didn't have money, but we had, uh, I, re I remember R.J. Rushdoony once talking about poverty as a state of mind. If you if you grew up in the ghetto and you, you were under the poverty level, whatever that number happened to be at any given time, based you know on what the government says, uh, uh, then you always thought of yourself as a poor person. But if you were a college student and you made less money than that, hmm. you never thought of yourself as a poor person. Uh, nowadays, I guess all college students are wealthy, but uh, uh, that's another <laughs> podcast. Their parents but, don't. <laughs> uh, yes, right. <laughs> but um, so uh, there's several ways to deal with this. Uh, so diff there's two different issues here. Let's deal with the I can't afford it first. Have a have your own potluck dinner. Uh, you can afford pasta. Mm -hmm. You can afford potatoes. You can afford rice and beans. Um, and you can just say, you know what? We don't have much money, but we sure do like to have people over. Would y'all come over? We're going to have uh, beans and rice Friday night. And bring something uh, else if you want it. Uh, that's right. Bring, would you bring dessert? Yeah. Uh, would you, uh, you know, we're going to drink water and have cornbread and peas. That's a good Southern meal. That's uh, about as cheap as it gets. Right. Um, and, and one of my favorite meals to boot. Um, so 
you you can again go together. You can say if you, I mean if you're really and truly broke, um, you're you're going to eat. Uh, put another cup of water in the soup and invite them over. Um, uh, that's free. I'm just joking a little bit, but there there's a lot of cheap foods. Right. Uh, there's a lot of ways to feed a lot of people very cheaply, mm. and and so you can do that. You can invite somebody over just for dessert, or say, would you come over after yeah. dinner? We're going to sit out on the porch and visit. Yes. Uh, it doesn't have to be around food. Uh, it could be uh, something very simple yeah. like that. So. I think the I can't afford it is is fairly easy to answer uh, because what you can't afford is to not show hospitality. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing you absolutely cannot afford not to do. Yes. And you know what strikes me with the the whole way you're framing your response to this is you have about three seconds patience with self-imposed victimhood, right? <laughs> Yeah, yes, exactly. In, in the sense that there are some people who are genuinely victims of some things, but most of us, in fact, to, to a pretty good approximation, all of us are not victims of the inability to be hospitable in some way or other. Yeah, let's make, I've made this point, and I, I know I'm not the first one to make it. If you're an American, you are among the richest people who have ever lived on the face of the earth. You're in the top 2% of all of humanity. Hmm. And that's if you're poor, right? Okay, you, you most of you eat three meals a day, have a house, probably a car, and whether you have food or a house, I know you have a cell phone, so um, you're not truly poor. Uh, you can you can do this, right? Right. I can't cook. I can't cook. Um, you can operate a microwave. Uh, you can um, popcorn. You can, uh, as I say in my paper here, you can boil a package of hot dogs. And so my, my solution is invite people over at 6 and don't feed them until about 7.30. <laughs> and boil, boil a package of hot dogs and serve them. And they will think they are the best hot dogs they have ever had. They'll be asking you for your recipe. Right. Uh, how, how did this uh, happen? And if you want gourmet hot dogs, you can boil them in beer. Uh, so the, the internet is full of recipes that you can follow. And you know what, what if it turns out you burnt the hot dogs, um, uh, and it, it all turned out, the food turned out poorly, right? Guess what? Yeah. You still obeyed God. Mm-hmm. You still showed hospitality. You'll all laugh about it and you'll remember it. You remember the time we came over yeah. and you burnt the hot dogs yeah. and we couldn't eat them. Yes. Yeah. So you must be given the hospitality. If you need to learn to cook, cook, yeah, learn it. If you, if not feed, you know, do what you can. The, uh, I, I like the creative solutions that the things you're saying suggest. So <laughs> like you could afford a couple of bags of popcorn and, and find a family with a bunch of young children or a couple of families with a bunch of young children and say, we're going to watch finding Nemo, bring, bring your kids, yes. provide the popcorn and the soda. And that's the kind of, yes. that's the kind of evening. I can tell you, having been a father of, still a father of three kids who were once young kids, the idea of going around to somebody else's house for soda and popcorn and finding Nemo, I think my 16-year-old daughter would still love that. I'm, she's going she's to yes. throttle yeah. me now that I've said that on it. But, but you know, there, there's something about uh, children love that kind of special occasion. And I don't know many parents who wouldn't be grateful for that. Even if you just said, hey, drop your kids off uh, or 
Um, yes. Drop your kids off for an hour and a half. I look after them and, and we'll watch a movie and or you can stay and we can go and chat on the porch or whatever it is. There's something about opening your home which communicates and, and manifests that kind of love and relationship, isn't it? Steve, let me address one issue that I did not address in this uh, list of excuses, but one that comes up sometimes is is very particular. So um, uh, let's say we have a family in the church that have children that are not uh, well behaved mm -hmm. and uh, out of control. People are like, I don't want to have them over uh, because they're out of control. They're a bad influence on my children. Um, they might you know, tear something up. Uh, all kinds of things that might genuinely be of concern to go with that. And I realize that there are on occasion extreme examples of this. But I would also say back to the creative creativity issue. If God brought those people to your church, uh, they're needy and they may be more needy than most. And we can't meet those needs by shunning them, ignoring them and not being hospitable to them. So that's where, again, creativity may come in. You, uh, you could, again, meet them at the park. You could have that family and another family that is very mature come over. Uh, you could have some scheduled games for the children out in the yard. You could ask, you can ask people and say, Would you, we'd like to have you over at 6, but we need everybody to leave by 7.30 or 8 uh, because we have to get everybody to bed and have, have to get up early for work. Uh, so you could put you can put book, uh, okay. bookends on your on your time on the front side and the back side, and eight o'clock approaches. You say, "Hey, everybody, we sure have enjoyed it. Let's gather. Let's pray before everybody heads out." Right. And you being you can be in control. You can say to your children, "Yeah, these children are coming over. They're pretty wild. Put up anything you don't want broken. We're not going to let anybody go in the. We're not going to let anybody go in the bedrooms. Here's where you can play. You can play here, yeah. here, or here, but you may not go here, here, or here. And you announce that when they get there, kids. Uh, tonight, these rooms are off limits. Mm -hmm. uh, so you you have to manage that. But what you don't get to do is ignore that family and not love them in Christ. Your um, now again. I, sorry, go on. No, well, I'm going to say obviously. If it's a bigger problem than that, go talk to your pastor and let's let's work on solutions. Uh, it may be a bigger problem that has to be addressed. Maybe the pastor needs to go talk to those folks about what the problem is. So I'm not saying it's that simple, but what we don't want to do is just take a problem and, and then that immediately becomes one more excuse for me not doing what I need to do. Your suggestion about putting bookends end times is fascinating because i've wondered that myself and just to hear you say it clarifies the obvious thing it, it's totally fine to invite a family over at let's say four o'clock on a saturday afternoon and say hey we'd love to have you guys around for tea or, or uh, supper we, we'd, we're going to need to have you out by 6 30 that's okay to do that that's not rude right right absolutely and uh, and yeah that's i uh, that's just wisdom. Yes. Knowing uh, what to do. Again, part of what you part of what you're trying to do is manage this mm. so that it's not overwhelming to you either. You have an obligation to your family. Uh, um, let's see where we are on time. I, I do maybe want to address a couple of these other sure, excuses, yeah. but also I want to be sure we have some time to at least discuss what I think are some powerful benefits. Yes. 
uh, hospitality. Well, let me get to the excuses then, because there's a there's a cluster of them, which are or well, number seven and eight. So I'm too busy and I stress out. I think this is probably something that people feel, even if yes, yeah. I've pointed out to people before, you have no idea how stressed you are compared to anybody else because you don't know how they feel. What, what, you, right. what you describe as stress might just be what everybody else feels all the time. But the simple truth is there are some people who say, I just haven't got the time. I'm too busy. I'm too exhausted. I get stressed if people are in my house. They might break my stuff. You want to speak to that? Have you got any sympathy? And how would you help somebody navigate that? Um, I have. I have. Look, obviously there are specific times in someone's life due to some external circumstance that, you know, your house just burned down or you, you lost your job or there, there are things obviously that at any given moment might be legitimate reasons to postpone hospitality uh, for a period of time to take care of those urgent matters. But if it's a perpetual, I'm too busy. I have no sympathy for that because my answer would be, yes, you are too busy mm. because if you're so busy that you can't obey God and keep this command to be given to hospitality, then you need to give up something else that is not commanded and put this in its place. This is one of the things you should be busy doing. Mm. And I'm not going to, I'm all, I'll say someone hasn't been doing this, then I'd say, then wade into the pool. I'm not asking you to dive into the deep end. Uh, I'm just put your foot in the water. Have say, we're going to have somebody over once a month right. on Sunday afternoon for two hours or whatever. Uh, we're going to do something to begin to develop this habit and get better at it and then branch out from there. Maybe you want to create an annual event uh, mm -hmm. where you have a group of people over and have a, a bonfire out in the yard or it depends on where you live. Of course, I live out in the country, so that's easy to do. But, um, uh, but if you're too busy quit something that's not necessary and put something that is necessary in its place, which is, again, hospitality. Um, God does not exempt busy people hmm. from obedience. Right. Um, so that's, again, that seems, it may seem abrupt, but sometimes I think as, as a pastor, as I'm a father figure, and sometimes what fathers need to do is what I call holy insistence. I don't want to be mean or harsh, right. but I do want to be insistent, not soft, not, oh, well, you know, life is hard and yes. I know it's difficult and you're a busy person. No, right. you're, if you're that busy, Quit change. And then, yeah, the, the, right. um, and the other was, you want to go ahead. Sorry. Well, the, the, yeah, the, 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 I, the, I stress out, yeah. um, um, so I would just say start by memorizing Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Uh, so hide God's word in your heart. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And by the way, your request could be, Lord, help me be hospitable. And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So say, I'm going to, oh, I'm going to, since I'm an anxious person or I get anxious about this, I want to say, what does God say that I'm, what does God say that I'm supposed to do about anxiety? Hmm. Okay. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee for he trusteth in thee. Isaiah 26, three. Hmm. 
Um, so one of the reasons God requires you to be given to hospitality is so that you will trust him. So if you're stressing, sit down and pray and say, Lord, I need help. I'm giving this anxiety to you. Give me peace. Help me to trust you for this because I want to, I want to please you. I'd want to add. And you may have to do that. You may have to do that 10 times over, you know, before that you start feeling less stress. Yes. I want to add the, um, the reality that we become what we think we are in a sense. If you, yes. if we, yes. if we are self-fulfilling prophecy, yeah. if we allow ourselves to, to say to ourselves, I'm a, just a stressed out person. I can't cope with this right now, or I can't cope with it at all. We will live down to those self-imposed expectations and the, the tongue becomes the rudder that steers the ship at that point. And at the same yep. time, the, the human beings have this astonishing God-given capacity for resilience under strain. And what was once a strain becomes much less of a strain as we learn to bear with it. If the first time you've had two or three families around with half a dozen kids each, it will be a little overwhelming. And then you've done it half a dozen times and it becomes less so. So that yeah, yeah. we grow, right? Uh, that's right. You want to talk about... Um, particular benefits or blessings of hospitality or pick up the remaining yes. uh, excuses, whatever you want to go. <clears throat> well, let me just mention the last excuse. I'm special. We, we tend to excuse ourselves as again, I have special circumstances, but, but I just like to remind all of us, we are special in that uh, we are the, one of Christ's sheep. He calls us by name. He laid down his life for us. He, he purchased us with his own blood. He redeemed us by name. We belong to him. In that sense, every Christian is special. We are adopted by him. We are his children. But we are not special when it comes to his commands. Hmm. I'm, I don't get a, a carve-out. I don't get a, uh, an exception for me. Uh, even if I'm busy or stressed or whatever these other things are, so that will lead into uh, what I want to say about the benefits. Part of the reason God calls for me to be hospitable and you to be hospitable and, and to be given to it and diligently given to it uh, is, uh, well, it goes in, in multiple directions. First of all, it pleases the Lord. It's an imitation of him. It shows the world God's hospitality. Uh, it is evangelistic. People look and see, what are they doing? How did Jesus say that the world would know that we are his disciples? We have love for one another. Well, that's not just an abstract uh, feeling toward one another. That's tangible. It's seen in the fact that we want to spend time with each other. I'm, I'm, when I have people who are reluctant to participate in church things or hospitality, I'm not as concerned about them not being at that particular event. They may have a good reason. Somebody was sick. We were out of town. It's when people don't want to be there that troubles me. Do I always want to be there? Uh, Steve, you and I go to camp, uh, youth camp. Every year I think, oh, I don't want to go to camp. And I'm always glad I did. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So on the yeah. front end, there's always things I look at and think, oh, that's a lot of trouble. That's a lot of work. That's a... Uh, that's not really my thing. Uh, but you know what? I'm part of something bigger than me. And this isn't all about me. It's not a smorgasbord where I get to pick the parts I like and not do the parts I don't like. Mm. 
I'm part of the team. I'm part of the body. I'm part of this community. And if the community is doing it, that means I'm doing it. And that means I'm, I'm also working hard to, to enjoy it. I don't, there's, look, I do, you and I, we all do hard things every day. We do things we don't want to do, but we do things we need to do. And when we do that, we're glad we did them. Mm-hmm. So God calls us to be hospitable because it shows the world his hospitality and it shows the world the gospel. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, we're not Pharisees. We're not doing this to be seen. It's not just show, but we're doing it to please God. And then we are seen and it glorifies God. We're his, his peculiar people uh, called uh, and or unto good works. And so, so that's the first thing. We do it to the glory of God, man's chief end, to glorify God. What is to glorify? It's to magnify. It's to, to put attention on. And so when we do this, when we love each other, serve each other, it, it causes people to say there's something different, something lovely, something attractive, something beautiful about God's people that attracts me to them and to whatever it is that's producing this kind of living. People are lonely. I mean, people are desperately lonely and they look and see this, that's attractive. So we adorn the gospel when we show hospitality. Second, God calls us to serve others. Uh, That's the nature of love through, you know, uh, love one another, serve one another. Uh, to do it, and and First uh, Peter says, do this without show hospitality without grumbling. Mm. That means I have to get happy about it, even if it's hard, right. even if I'm a little anxious. Um, so I have an obligation to meet the needs of others. And first of all, I don't know the needs of others if I don't spend time with people. If all I do is see them at church and wave at them, I don't know them. When I have them in my home and I'm in their home and we have conversations and we have meals together, we get to know each other so that we are there. I I call this uh, sometimes front porch time when a bunch of guys sit on the front porch and talk for an hour and they tell stories and jokes. And sometimes it's serious. Sometimes it's a theological topic. Sometimes it's stories about going camping. We're getting to know each other so that when we need one another in a more serious setting, these are not strangers. These are our people. These are people we have taken the time to get to know and for them to know us so that we are, we're in this together. Are they ever going to aggravate you? You bet. And you're going to aggravate them and we're going to have to talk to each other and resolve conflicts and all those kinds of things. But we're to fervently love one another, not just a how do you do on Sunday morning. So I could go on about benefits of hospitality to other people. You're showing them you love them. You're sacrificing. You're serving uh, all that. But then I think the one we sometimes don't realize, but God does, and that's why he commands us to be given to hospitality, is there's it's God's way of giving to us what we need. Uh, I don't know how many hundreds, maybe thousands of people we've had in our home. I've been a pastor 40 years, been married 50 years. I have three children and they are all 
whatever their faults are, hospitality isn't one of them because it's normal to them to have people in their homes all the time. And I've had, uh, I've had strangers in our home. We've had people live in our home. We've had uh, church members in our home. We've had talkative people, quiet people, odd people. Um, uh, we have been exposed to thousands of guests and people that have shaped our lives. The one regret I have, well, I have a lot of regrets, but one of them is I wish we had gotten the guest book, a big guest book when we were younger and insisted that everybody sign it and date it because I can't even begin to remember who all's been either at our table, slept in one of our beds, sat on our porch, or been a part of our family. It taught my children to clean their room, (laughs) to wash dishes, to clean up spills, to put up with contrary children, Mm. uh, to be polite, to serve, to, uh, uh, to be able to sit and listen to compelling and interesting conversation to hear about all kinds of adventures and stories and how God has been at work in this Mm. family or this couple. Um, we've had people from all over the world. We've had missionaries. Uh, we've had people of all races. We've had all kinds of people uh, in our home. We've had the indigent in our home, sitting at our tables, eating meals with us. And I'm not saying any of that to brag. I'm saying I was the beneficiary of that. That was God's grace to me and to my family. And to miss out on that because I'm too busy. Uh, is um, uh, is a tragedy, right? It's self maledictory. Yes. Yes. It's uh, it, it is anyway. We had uh, I just wanted to emphasize. We, we that. had a fascinating uh, series of uh, opportunities to offer hospitality to people when we were in, in London because I got to know folks over this side of the pond, and I think it was the 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 eldest daughter of a a CREC pastor down in Southern Texas about 15 years ago. And, and she passed on our details to all her friends and the word spread that there was free accommodation in London. And, and what you described was exactly what we experienced. We actually did get a guest book. We had, we had a guest book. We, we asked people to sign it if they were staying the night. And I think we've had that now for, I don't know, um, maybe 20, 15 years, 16 years. Uh, and it's got hundreds of names in it. And it's, it was so enriching for our children as well as for us because they got to meet all these adults or young adults from all over the world. Well, it felt like all over the world to them. It was lots of different places in America and we had people from a a bunch of different places. But you're right about the enrichment that it provides. I think it's, it is, it it does make me sad to think about people who are lonely. Back to what you said uh, earlier. And I think we recognize loneliness as, to a certain extent, something of which we are victims sometimes because of our circumstances and the disconnectedness of our society, but it is something that this command is designed to alleviate. If you're lonely, find an unintimidating family and invite them around for um, hot dogs or popcorn or dessert or something. And the loneliness at least will be alleviated for that day, right? Absolutely. And I think again, uh, 
recognizing that when God gives a this isn't trivial, this is not just something to be lost in a list, mm -hmm. but this is really powerfully important to change you, to change them, and to change the world. The world is lonely. The world is hungry. The world is out of fellowship. Um, and we have to change that, and we do it uh, as the people of God with the Spirit of God to enable us. We haven't mentioned that, but remember, we are filled with the Holy Spirit who enables us to do things we didn't think we could do. And uh, to, to sh again, share the, this life with others. I, I think about my sweet wife, um, who is not an outgoing personality, uh, uh, but she is, is just very steady and even. I wish I had a nickel for every time she's changed bed sheets for a guest and washed those sheets, sometimes literally taking them off taking them to the washing machine, getting them dried so she can get them back on the bed for that evening because another, somebody else is going to be here tonight. Uh, and that's been hundreds of times in our life, uh, not to mention just the cleaning of the house and, uh, and uh, cooking of meals and sitting down. And, uh, you know, and, and one other thing I didn't mention, another thing we can do in our modern world is meet people somewhere. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Our local, we have a local a couple of families in our church that own a winery uh, that's a family friendly place. They have pizzas and uh, all that there. And sometimes we'll just call a couple of families and say, let's let's meet out at Naka Valley and uh, spend the evening together. That's great. That's great. Pastor Booth, you have given us a great deal to think about. I think as I look back over my time at All Saints, the number of people who have remarked on how they've been blessed by the hospitality of others in the congregation is really remarkable to me and i want to encourage that more and more we've had a whole bunch of new people here and in case you haven't noticed it yet ladies and gentlemen we want to be the kind of community that is growing in the kind of way that pastor booth has been talking about today certainly the new church plant we have planned in granbury for january of next year um what a way to make a mark on the community by giving people local people who may not have darkened the door of a church for many, many years, giving them real, genuine Christian community into which they can be invited. Amen. Um, Pastor Booth, it has been a real, real pleasure and an encouragement to me to listen to you. I hope it's been a blessing. I'm sure it has been for everyone else who's been listening. Thank you for joining us, sir. We're very grateful to God for you and for your ministry, uh, for your example, for your teaching and for everything else. Uh, our warmest... Well, thank you for the invitation, brother. Pleasure. And uh, blessings to your whole congregation and your family from us here at All Saints. Mm -hmm.